Welcome to the Education Technology Solutions Podcast. We are here at the Global Education and Skills Forum in Dubai, uh, and we are talking with Emma Russo and Dr. Ken Silburn about getting girls into STEM. And obviously the first question is, why? Why is this such a challenge? And Emma, if you can maybe kick us off a little bit, um, tell us a bit about where you're working at the moment and, uh, and what you're seeing and, and why this is an issue. So I live and work in London. I teach in a school called South Hampstead High School. Uh, it's an all-girls environment that I've recently moved to. I am extremely passionate about getting more girls into STEM, uh, particularly physics and engineering, because I'm a physics teacher, because I see that girls are interested. Uh, you know, every, every teacher who uh, teaches middle school um, will say that girls are interested and engaged, they want to find solutions to problems, they want to understand why the world around them works in the same way that boys do, but we have this problem that they're not picking it to continue with uh, to higher education. And that's a problem because our world, uh, you know, the jobs that are uh, the future are those that are in technology, you know, coding, um, engineering, these are spaces that uh, there are huge demand in, ki in terms of jobs uh, and this is also where the money is. So we need girls to be able to ac access these successful, high-paying careers um, and add their voices to the technology that's being developed and integrated into our world for the future. So I think it's absolutely essential that girls are part of that. Okay. And Ken, where, where are you at the moment? What are you, where are you teaching and what are you doing? Well, I was the... Um um, head teacher science out at Kashula High School, um, mid southwest of Sydney, um, in Australia, and also president of the Regional Science Teachers Association. Okay, and from your perspective, why is this question even a question? Why are we finding it so hard to get girls interested in STEM? Well, look, you're right. It it shouldn't be a question that um, it should just be straightforward. That we, if we're going to make things fair. And, and things should be fair, 50-50, you know, then we should expect that girls are given the same opportunities as boys. And if we, d if we look at the way that, that jobs are changing and if we look at the, the uptake of technology and, and STEM, well, if girls are not being engaged in STEM, then when it comes to the jobs after they leave school, they'll just left be left behind. Mm. So... Emma, back to you. In based on what Ken was saying, then, from what you're seeing, is it the case that girls aren't being offered the same opportunities? I mean, not necessarily in the workforce, but in the school, or is it just that they're not taking them up? I think it's that they're not taking them up. So by opportunities, I mean uh, to further study. So they're taking yeah. up the opportunities, so extra curricular activities, programs that are running. But I think we have a really tough job to go against what society. You know, families and parents are telling our girls, um, and I'm talking from a UK context here, but I think this applies to a lot of spaces, and we are having to work against something. So it's something that is holding them back. I think around around the dinner table, um, when parents come in to see us for parents' evening, they are often saying, I don't know where she gets it from, or, you know, I'm rubbish at physics, or I hate physics and maths. It's an incredibly strong sentiment that me and my colleagues see over and over again. And, you know, it's really tough to encourage girls to go into that space when they're being uh, encouraged in lots of different ways to go into other options when they're perfectly capable of pursuing these routes. So I think we have to get parents on board. I think we have to um, 
get them to understand what opportunities look like and engage them in careers. Girls also, all the research shows, think about careers and where things are going to take them a lot earlier than boys do. And so we have to give them access to information about careers and people that look and sound like them. So bringing in uh, people who have experience in industry, in research, who can share that and they can identify with those people and their experiences. Okay. So how then do we start this process, by the sounds of it, of getting parents on board? Because it seems that the parental modelling is a large part of what's actually causing the issue. Where does that begin? How can teachers start you know, focusing on getting parents to understand that these are really important issues and areas that kids need to be involved in, Ken? I, I, I take up with Emma's point. I mean, it's what goes on at home that you've got to actually um, compete against. And, and the ideas that are out there, which are the, the wrong ideas, but the idea is that, you know, girls are not good at maths and science, um, which, I mean, that's false. So if we can do anything in the school that promotes a girl and, and any success that they get, tell the parents at how good their girls are, then... Um, then they'll start to think, oh, perhaps this, you know, our daughters should be doing science and they should be doing physics or chemistry. Absolutely. Mm. So is it about maybe better communication between the school and the parents and highlighting the opportunities that are available in the workforce and the way that the world is changing and maybe having more in the way of science prizes and competitions in schools aimed at girls? How do you see that working, Emma? So... I know this is common in a lot of American schools, the idea of a science fair, but I've really noticed in a couple of schools that if you're someone who excels at drama or music or art, there's so much opportunity for you to display your successes and your triumphs and uh, parents are invited in. But actually, um, having held science fairs, it is astonishing. Parents are delighted when they come and see what their students can do and the pride that students can take in their work. I think we need to make more spaces like that to invite parents in to see what their kids are producing in science and how interesting and how diverse the things that they're pursuing are. I think it's absolutely like Ken said about um, highlighting those successes uh, to parents and really saying uh, your daughter could do this and sometimes it has to be as explicit as that Mm. and then the thing that I have found really successful is evening events with girls and their mothers because mothers have a really big influence, a lot of the research says, ab- over their daughter's choice of uh, higher education, subjects for higher education. So I've seen them come in and kind of sit on their phones and look a bit disinterested at the start and walk out of those events saying, wow, I wish I'd kept up with studying physics in particular, or you know, I didn't know that those opportunities were out there. And then if they're engaged in that conversation, then they're going to be more supportive of what their daughters are interested in. Now, we're not talking about trying to make people go down into STEM careers who don't want to. We're talking about making sure those girls who are plentiful, who are really interested and want to do that, feel supported and encouraged. Mm. So here we go. I'm going to ask you a question now. This is probably politically going to get me into a lot of trouble, but I'm going to go there anyway. I have a sister who was, when she was around that age, sort of 14, 15, 16, was discovering boys. And so she didn't want to be seen as being smarter than the boys in her classroom. And it was only when she got older and went out and started studying in university as a mature age student that she suddenly discovered, wow, I'm actually smart. I can actually do all these things that I never knew I could do before. But 
it was during that really vulnerable period, which is that period we're talking about with a lot of the girls falling out of that sort of science, technology and engineering and maths area, where they just didn't want to be seen as being smarter than the boys in the classroom because they were worried that didn't make them attractive. How do we tackle this? And is it even still an issue, or am I just a really old middle-aged white guy that doesn't get it anymore? I, I think it's definitely still an issue. Um, I mean, the question is, but why aren't the boys bothered yeah. by that? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a wider issue of gender inequality. I do, I do think that you see better participation and better uh, representation in terms of voice in the classroom in countries and classrooms where gender equality is high on the agenda and national policies are put in because it changes the culture, it changes the way of thinking. I mean, the other thing is that teachers have to be aware of this. Mm. You know, you have to, I have observed uh, kind of as a, a school leader teams of people and teachers are unaware that they're, if, if the boys are raising their hands more, that they're choosing the boys and they might take up 75% of the speaking time in a lesson. Mm. So teachers need to do more hands-down questioning and to know that this is an issue to be able to give voice and space and to encourage those people um and, to, and you know, if, if if boys were for example bullying girls about a response or if that if they actually were picking them up on on them contributing then you, they have to be prepared to have those conversations with the boys as well if that was happening i don't know what you think ken look we've actually had a, a lot of success in schools where they've they've gotten along the the, the route of having single-sex classes for, for maths and science. And the reason being is that, um, especially in science, if you, if you have an experiment or an activity, then, then girls will be very, very thorough in what they do. They will actually want to read and find out what they have to do. Whereas boys, um, if I just generalise, they will actually blunder through. They'll want to pick up stuff and... And, and grab all the equipment. Um, and I, I take up on, on, on your point, John, about girls not wanting to look like they're smart. Mm. And, and I think what we have to do is just make sure that we promote all the times when they do things that are good. Mm. So if, they, if they're involved in a science competition, then you give out the certificates at the same time that you give out all the certificates for the, the teams that are playing football. Mm. But again, I guess this is an issue that comes back to parental role modelling as well. I mean, they need to be taught from a very young age, early at home, that smart is not a bad thing. Smart is a good thing. And there's every reason why you should be just as smart as the boys in the class, if not smarter. I mean, I went to school with a lot of girls that were way smarter than I was, and, and that was never an issue. But it seems to be for other people... From a school point of view, what more can teachers be doing other than sort of, you know, these events and, and awards and all the rest of it? What can we be doing as a community to try and encourage girls to try and get involved in the, the sciences? I, th I think that you need to, I really think it's important to get them to, to connect with people who've had their same experiences. So uh, who either are people their same age. So if they're in the minority in a class, uh, like I have a lot of A-level physics classes, then connecting with other girls who are in that same situation so that they are boosted and they can support each other. So creating those networks and seeing women who have been through the same experiences. So PhD students coming and presenting their research and sharing uh, that they actually had a very similar life experience. They look like them, they sound like them. Um, 
on your question. <laughs> what, 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 what we can be doing to get girls more involved in the sciences. And it seems to me that this is a question that sort of extends out to the broader community beyond just schools to things like the mass media and Hollywood and all sorts of places where we need to be starting to role model smart, intelligent women in great roles that young girls can look at and aspire to and say, I want to be like that. Yeah, and we need to encourage our children from a very young age, our girls, to be risk takers. You know, we're talking about the concept of smart, but actually the, if the boys are the ones who, like, uh, as Ken said, that kind of give things a go and push through things and tackle things, but our girls are worried about getting things right and perfect. And I think we see that across a lot of things, not just in science, but that's holding them back because in science you have to try and problem solve and you keep coming up against things that are initially maybe a bit tricky but then you have to kind of navigate and come at it from lots, lots of different angles so I think from a very young age there has to be a focus on early education and there has to be that promotion of risk taking and problem solving for both boys and girls from a very young age and then in schools we have to be not afraid of giving girls and boys things that they find tricky and that th- giving them that opportunity to be challenged and to stretch themselves and to problem solve so that they don't feel, you know, it's not about failure, it's about trying to figure things out, mm. I think. Yeah, uh, John, I'll, I'll pick up on your point about you know, our our preconception or the, the way which we actually think about um, people that are involved in science. And I was thinking about the, um, the cartoon Scooby-Doo. Yep. And... Um, and when you look at that, it's very stereotypic that there is the, the female that's very attractive, but not very intelligent. And then mm. you've got the other female who is the very intelligent, scientific you know, uh, background, but she's the one that's short, um, probably a, a very conservative hairstyle, and, and wears glasses. Yep. And I think we've got to get away from that. You know, and the media yep. you know, can help most definitely. But if you... If you do what I said, you know, just you know, promote you know, things in, in science that are positive, yep. then it makes a big difference. Yep, for sure. Emmy, you mentioned during your presentation here at the Global Economic and Skills Forum um, some interesting stats around girls sort of dropping out of the sciences around sort of, you know, 16 thereabouts. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and what you're seeing and why? Yes. So in the UK, uh, statistically at age 16, girls... Uh, outperform boys in their GCSE exams which is what we have and uh, then the numbers at A level are incredibly low Uh, so a lot of schools don't even enter a single girl something like uh, 70% of girls in England uh, two years ago did not enter a girl for A level Um, there are schools who then entered one or two but the numbers are incredibly low when you get to university for about 30 years the percentage of uh, female undergraduates studying physics at university in the UK has remained at about 22%. There's been loads of initiatives. Everyone who works with men and, men and women want more girls in this field, but it hasn't been changing. And, you know, so that's a real challenge. Um, whereas you look at a subject like maths in the UK, where there was a similar statistic about 30 years ago, but that percentage, uh, gender balance is now about 45% female. Um, I think something very interesting is that in the UK, you have to study maths to study medicine at university and I think that has changed the perception in a lot of people's minds about sort of the usefulness of maths and the application so a lot of girls continue to study it so that two years later when they're making their choices about careers actually they still have that 
you know, they're equipped, they have that in their tool bank ready to potentially keep studying it. And it's changed it in the minds of kind of the nation and in, parent, in, in parents that this is a useful thing to have and a useful thing to study that you could continue to apply and continue to study. Um, and so I think there's interesting things around when are you allowed to drop subjects? When do you yeah. cut choice? You know, in the UK, we cut down choice very early, having seen other education systems. Um, you know, having been to Sweden, you can uh, keep studying a whole range of subjects. It actually doesn't matter what you study uh, as to which university course you can get into, whereas it's very narrow in the UK. You have to study yeah. X subject to do Y at university. So I think there's a lot around the system and what's that doing uh, to reduce girls' uh, opportunity to keep going with that subject okay can you seeing a similar sort of thing in australia yes look there's there's still the the abundance of boys that will do physics as compared to girls yep uh, however I, sh I should point out my best student um, by far um, was female and um, she's actually graduating in two weeks time with um her science degree, but um, but you look back and you think, you know, in, in a class, even if if I'm promoting girls and trying to have you know equal opportunities, yet there will be more boys in the in the physics class mm -hmm. and in the biology class there will be more girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say it's so that's that's they're not represented if you go to a a single gender environment. So one of the reasons that I moved to an all girls school was to kind of see what what is going on in that space and having experienced that, having a few exceptional girls in a majority male class, which is something that there's some research from King's College London that says that the girls who do persist have to be excellent. They are a standard yep. to kind of have the, can't think of a better word than kind of oomph to, to push through and to triumph and to succeed. Um, but in my class now, I have a whole class of girls studying for A-level physics and they have the whole range of personality and confidence so, you know, I have some who are just kind of middle of the road. I have some who are very confident. You know, sometimes you have some students who are arrogant, whereas I'd see all those personalities represented in the boys and then just sort of girls who unfortunately did not have the confidence to express themselves. They still did very well. Mm. But, yeah, we're not confident in that space. And I think it's, yeah, it's interesting because all types of girls can enjoy and pursue physics and you see that. Yep. But the spaces don't necessarily allow for it. But that's interesting because anecdotally, if we look at a girls-only school versus a co-ed school, do the numbers differ? Do we see any more girls in an all-girls school going on into the sciences in a higher year level than we do in, say, a co-ed school? Or is the numbers dropping out in both pretty much the same? No, it's uh, significantly higher in an all-girls environment. So there's a lot of research by the um, conducted by the Institute of Physics in London and they've not just been looking at science actually but they've been looking at subjects where there's a large gender disparity uh, so that includes science but it also includes uh, things like English literature where the gender divide is kind of the opposite way around um, and yeah th you see it in the data that you're significantly more likely to keep going and this this is with physics uh, specifically if you are in an all-girls environment. So if we unpack that a little bit would that be because the parents that are sending or, or going to the effort and the expense of sending girls to an all-school girls' school environment are perhaps more encouraging or is it that the lack of boys distracting them and dissuading them from being in those things is more prevalent or is it a little bit from column A and column B? What, what are your thoughts on this? So I, I think it's a bit of both. I don't know in terms of 
research if there is an answer to that. Um, and so I'm kind of hes. I, I yeah, I think it's a bit of both, but I'm sort of hesitant to say it is definitely one thing. Because if we knew, then I think we'd immediately act on that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, in Australia, we've got the the same thing as the UK. Um, yeah. We've we found that uh, in in the single sex um, schools, um, the the girls pick up the physics and chemistry, and that's 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 never a problem. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting because. We're, we're living in a world now where the workforce is changing dramatically and all of the opportunities, well I shouldn't say all of the opportunities, but a lot of the opportunities that we're starting to see coming forward now from um, robotics through to cybersecurity, through to mechatronics, through to engineering, uh, and I imagine in the future space exploration and all sorts of things are going to be heavily, heavily STEM dependent. So if we can't start getting people involved from a very young age, there's going to be, uh, we're going to be right back to square one with this huge disparity between earning potential between men and women. Is that the case? Absolutely. And you only need to look at historical systems to see that, uh, you know, our art, our history contains mostly a male narrative and women have been left out. So in the things that are being designed for our future, if women's voices are not part of that then I think it's absolutely devastating I think it's and I think it's terrible for all people I think that you need people of all types to be and their experiences to be included in the the things that we create and in terms of that gender pay gap it's going to massively widen um, with as you say those technology industries being the future okay fantastic so in closing if we were to sort of offer the, the back of the napkin advice to teachers listening to this and say, here's a couple of basic things that we believe you can do in your school to try and balance out this gender inequality, both for school leaders and school teachers, what would be your top sort of three or four bullet points that you would offer up, starting with you, Emma? I think first and foremost, you have to advocate and support wider and national gender equality initiatives. I think yep. that's absolutely essential because that is what's going to bring long-term change. Yep. I think with the girls that you teach now, who you are trying to support in the environment and the society they exist in, I think you have to be uh, engaging them with uh, to meet people who look and sound like them, um, who have experience in research and industry, who can talk to them about the realities of their experiences so they can identify with them. You need to bring parents in. So as... Uh, Ken said you need to promote what they're doing successfully. You need to say, here are some careers that your girl would be outstanding at and she would excel at. Here are the financial opportunities and engage them in the dialogue. Yeah. And Ken? Look, uh, I, I think exactly the same as Emma. The, um, the one thing I'd, I always push is that um, if you want to lift up the bar for, for, for boys or lift up the bar for girls or lift up the bar for anybody, but you've just got to do it for everyone. Mm. And and if you can make it so everything is positive and that you take uh, the opportunities whenever something is positive to promote it and and promote that girls are good at, at science. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what we have to do. Yep. Really, it's just about empowering people and making them understand that they can do whatever it is that they choose to do regardless of who they are. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thank you both very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. Yep, thank thanks, John. Much. Thank you.